Thank you, Larry. I appreciate that so much. Uh, very quickly, I uh, want to just share some information with you. Tom Burris is going to be here on the 11th, which is next Sunday. And uh, many of you remember him. He served as an interim preacher here uh, for a while. He's going to preach on that Sunday. And then the 18th, if you weren't here for Monday, Thursday, they always do an outstanding job. Uh, but I have to tell you, this particular one, it spoke to me in uh, volumes for a number of reasons. It was very well done. Uh, we're very fortunate to have the talented people and um, just the spirit, humble spirits to serve and honor God. And, and he was certainly honored this past Thursday. But so the 18th, the House of Hope will be here. They're coming the third Sunday of each month. And we're going to have a potluck for them. We've been sending out emails and making sure it's in the bulletin. And we'll continue to make sure you have that information. But I have asked in lieu of a sermon that Sunday morning, I'd ask uh, the crew, uh, I guess you call them the crew, the, that group of volunteers to do uh, recreate what they did this Monday, Thursday. And uh, I know that it will bless everyone who will be a part of it. And it certainly will bless our House of Hope uh, Individuals. So that's what's happening the next two weeks. Um, and then uh, I just, let's see, uh, Don Vizi, stand up. Don is 69 years old today. The lying preacher. No, he, he's not 69. I believe he's 89. <laughs> I know it's 79. Amen. So yeah, Don is 79 years old. And a dog, turn around and let him see you. If you don't know Don, he's one of our elders, 79. What about you? You can be seated. And then, uh, yeah, you can be seated. And then we have a, yeah, he's feeling good. And uh, so we have another honorary guest here. His name is uh, Donald, too. Donald and Casey Sebastian. Would you stand up? Yeah, you got to stand up. Stand up. Uh, Donald has been married to Casey for 23 years. And uh, he deserves a medal, and uh, he really does. And uh, no, there's both ways. So they're celebrating 23 years of marriage. This, yeah, amen. So you can be seated. And uh, so I don't have a bulletin in front of me because I think, they, praise God, they're all handed out. I don't know if you have a birthday, like in the, what just do if you have an April birthday, stand up. April birthday, stand up, stand up. April birthday, Lance, amen. Mel, Mel, how old are you? 39. Yeah, you're looking good. That full set of hair there. Mr. Arnold, outstanding. And then if you have an aunt, oh, ah, okay, one more. That Outstanding. Give me your name again. Cheyenne, that's a great name. Yes, that's a good And when's your birthday? Today. Hey, Don. Yeah, huh? He turns 70 tomorrow. 71. 71. <laughs> Amen. So anniversaries, if you were married in April, stand up. So I knew Don and Patsy, so yeah, okay, married and outstanding. And so how many years for y'all? 58. 58. Patsy deserves a medal. She has a statue or so, you know. 58 years old, 58 years. I mean, so uh, when is it? What day is it? The 13th. 13th, amen. All right, you can be seated and just wanted to recognize what a outstanding opportunity to have that fellowship together. So I think that's all of the uh, announcements that I have. Uh, BJ, thank you. You bring joy to my heart. You do. And I'm, I dropped the ball. I was supposed to have a picture of a tomb up there. And, uh, but I thought you did an outstanding job. It, thank you very much. It was just good to see you in a coat, man. I, you know, <laughs> amen. 
It was cold? Is that? Well, you can put a monkey in a tuxedo, you still got a monkey. Amen. So, uh, please stand for the reading of scriptures, uh, scripture, the book of Revelation. Please stand. I'm going to be reading in Revelation. I'm hoping, is my mic on? Yeah, it's, it's on? Okay, very good. I, I, okay, so in Revelation chapter 1, I'll be reading beginning in verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, today, the Lord's day, first day of the week. And I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see. Send it to the seven churches in Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the, to the feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me saying, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead. Listen to this church. And the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. You may be seated. I'm going to read that verse 18 again. As Jesus speaks of himself, he said, as the 17th verse ends, he says, I am the first and the last, verse 18, and, and the living one who was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the king, the keys of death and of Hades. If you go to 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul writes about the resurrection. And, and he says that the gospel is, the gospel, the good news, is framed into one event, and it's the resurrection. That's what he says. He says, if we don't preach that Christ was resurrected, our preaching is in vain. He would then go on to say that if we don't believe in the resurrection, we're to be pitied above all men, all men. So I, I want to just say to you briefly this morning, I, uh, 
I'm always moved when I have the opportunity to, Mark does a tremendous job, the people he used to volunteer this morning in our early morning sunrise service. If you were there, you were absolutely blessed. Um, and he really presented in story form through music um, that moment in history, the reality of the resurrection through him and worship. Um, but the way uh, he produced that, I, I don't know if you were there for me personally, it really stirred up a lot of emotion for me, thoughts. It really did. The first thing was uh, a sense of joy, obviously. I mean, the resurrection and what we do on Easter Sunday, it's a joyful occasion. We're, it is joyful. It should bring joy to us, and I, I'm sure that it does. So there was joy and obviously a sense of peace as well. Uh, and then at some point, there was this um, almost overwhelming uh, sense of conviction. And, um, and there was, for me personally, a sense of failure. Not, not self-deprecating and not to false humility, but as you're confronted with the way the songs were put together, our responsive reading, just the whole process of being together, having fellowship in that old sanctuary. I don't care if it was there anywhere, anywhere on the planet. Uh, but for me personally, I couldn't, as obviously joy and some peace and a conviction, but th there was also a sense, a very strong sense of failure for me. You know, I think um, as I'm confronted with the resurrection and I begin to look at myself personally, um, I couldn't help but think, oh my. And the failure came for me personally that I think that a sense of the trivial. You've heard that phrase, majoring on minors. And we do this thing, and it's called church, and we do worship, and we're religious people, and, and then we have to live, and we have to go to work, and pay our bills, and raise our children, and uh, all those things. They're just natural in the course of living. Struggle with difficult times, disease, death, all those things. And so when I'm measuring everything, the joy, the conviction, the peace. There also is a sense of this sense that I said, you know, I have wasted an awful lot of time being trivial for me personally. And I, I don't know if you can relate to that. I do think that we spend a lot of time worrying about things that we probably shouldn't worry about. Spending our time and our energy and effort on things that really Solomon would say they were meaningless. They're just vain, you know. Because there was one event, just really one, and it was the event that should bring everything into complete and perfect focus in your life. If you're having a hard time focusing on your purpose and the meaning of life or the direction you should go um, because of just who we are, just because of who we are, I believe the one moment in history, the one event, the one place, the one thing that really brings clarity, that it should bring clarity, is 2,000 years ago when a dead man and a living God walked out of a tomb, a dead tomb, a burial hole in a rock, 
that somebody had hewn out to put a dead body in so that it could rot. Now, everything else other than that has to be trivial. It really, truly does. So two words came to my mind in my study this week about you and I in that moment, the resurrection, and all the trivial things, the trivial fights, the trivial goals, the trivial pursuits, the trivial whatever, in light of God, the scripture says that he knew you and I and us and we before we were formed in our mother's womb. There's no one that's ever been born that was a mistake. Men don't value God life the way God does. But none of us that have been born was a mistake. He knew us before he formed us in our mother's womb and he gave us life. And we live. And we live in our flesh. And then from birth to the grave, we don't know. Some die, we think tragically, in infancy. Others live many years. And, and then some linger in death. And some death comes too quickly. And so, Jesus the man crucified, dead, and buried in understanding everything you and I go through. The writer of Hebrews said, we, we have this high priest who can sympathize with everything that you and I have ever gone through because Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, a man, experienced every temptation you will ever experience, has every struggle that you've ever struggled. He experienced pain, suffering, tears, joy, happiness, just the way you and I do. And then he experienced a cruel and wicked and violent beating and death. And that man was put into a tomb, a place where flesh rots. And three days later, from Friday to Sunday, the son of man, who was the son of God, walked out of that tomb. Two words. Power and attain. So every little child here, and every one of us, when you were born, you're born. Who is the most powerful person in a newlywed's home when a child is born, as that baby. That baby has all the power. That baby cries, and that baby gets fed. That baby soils himself, and that baby gets cleaned. That baby smiles, and mom and daddy's happy. That baby cries, and we go, what are we going to do? Can we just get him to stop crying? I mean, the house is run by the baby. And so from our first breath, we experience power. I got some power. I can get to, hey, I need something. I'm not even sure what it is, but I know something rumbling in my stomach. Something's happening somewhere else. I get a little cry, and this lady comes running. 
And then they talk funny to me and they love me and I, all I got to do is cry. Boom, I get what I want. Power. I got power and I get what I want. And then for the rest of our lives, we stay in that cycle. We do. We do. And, and we pursue those things. If I want something, I've got to figure out how to put myself in a position to get something. Correct? I want a new house. I want a new car. I want whatever. I'm, most of my life, from the time I'm born, is just a cycle, another cycle, in the pursuit of power and attaining things. Attaining things and the power it takes to get that. Now, what does that have to do with the resurrection? Now, I remember, I want you to go to Philippians in the third chapter. I remember this. Uh, one of those moments in my education, and had this great uh, professor of theology, and, and he brought us to this point in Scripture, and he said, he said, listen, he said, I'm going to share some things with you. You've already been, uh, had this shared with you in other parts of your education uh, in this College of Biblical Studies. He said, but here's what, here's what you need to know about the Bible, and then we're going to talk about the central most important thing in the Bible, and then we're going to apply it to your life. He said, the Bible was uh, the first diet and nutrition piece of literature in the world. And he said it was perfect. Before uh, a college in, in California or anywhere uh, had a school of nutrition, the Bible. The biblical principles and truths about diet are perfect. You eat fruits and vegetables and fish. You know, and you don't fry anything. And there's no sugar. And there's no processed. And now we have a trillion-dollar industry worldwide, people telling you how to eat like the Bible. And so, but the Bible was correct about nutrition before there was ever a book of nutrition. It was. The biblical diet is perfect. It's a Mediterranean diet. You eat it, you're not going to have high cholesterol. You won't have a heart failure. I mean, you're not going to struggle with your weight, but I like stuff that's not gluten-free, and it's not. I like sugar, and I like salt, and I like dough, and I like all that good stuff. But that's not in the Bible. Now, money. He said, let me tell you about money. If you follow the biblical principles of money, finance, in the Bible, before there was ever a college of finance, you'll never, first of all, you'll never owe anybody anything. Because the Bible says, don't go into debt. The Bible says, pay God first, don't go into debt, be benevolent, save a little for yourself, and you will have financial security. You don't need Edwards, jo Edward Jones or, or any institution to tell you. The Bible figured it out before there was any financial gurus. So he went on and on. He talked about sexuality, marriage, parenthood. Every principle that was established in Scripture, new, new world gurus are writing, not giving ascribing the Bible any of that credit, but they're just mirroring what the Bible has already said. It doesn't matter what it is, but the Bible had it right before you and I had it right. So he tells us this. He takes us to... Philippians in the third chapter, and he talks about power and attaining and life. He said, you know, this could almost pass as a psychology course. He said, there is a psychology that exists among men, and there is a psychology in the Bible. Again, the Bible had psychology right before there was a school of psychology. And he said, you're going to see that psychology revolves around one thing, and everybody here has it, and everybody here is developing it. Your children, whether they're infants, uh, high school kids about to graduate. By the way, we got several. We got a couple of high school. We'll talk more about that. We got some seniors coming up this year, and we're going to celebrate their graduation. But whether you're in high school, elementary school, middle aged, aging, wherever, uh, this whole 
psyche that we have that starts from the womb, takes us all the way to the grave, has to do with self-protection, selfish desires, our needs, meeting our needs, living an advantageous life. And he said the Bible addressed that psychology far before anybody wrote about it as a secular man or woman. So, and it has to do with one thing. And this is true of everybody here. Everybody here. What you value. Your value system. We have a worldview. The way you see the world is based upon what you value. What you value is based upon the way you were raised by the people who had an influence. They valued it, so you valued it. Now, I could get real personal about that, but it's just true. From the music you listen to, the music uh, you listen to, the uh, TV, uh, movies you watch, the clothes you wear, the, 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 what you value has been passed on to you, and it's built up in you, and so it's a value system. Every single person here has a value system, something you value. Now, I want to talk to you just briefly about Christianity. If I ask you to tell me how much you value your Christianity, your, your relationship with God through Christ, I would just ask you, you tell me. Better yet, tell yourself and then tell God. Rather than tell me, be honest, have a great honest moment in our lives, and I don't need to share it with you, you don't need to share it with me, but just say, write it down, I value this. And then you have to share that with you. Go, well, I better define, I better get a little, well, I say I value it, but I'm not sure it's something I want to share with God. Or maybe sharing these things with God, I might need to edit it. I don't know. You, maybe you would do that. But what do you value? Well, how do you determine what you value? Real simple. Time, energy, and money. Is it. Time, energy, money. What you value and what I value can be identified by how much time we spend it, how much energy we invest in it, and how much money. It's that simple. There's nothing more. Those are irrefutable. I know we could get into some long philosophical talk, but, but it's unrefut they're irrefutable. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, having to do with the resurrection, he gives you the fullness and the completeness, the psychology of a worldview and a value system that is, it's impeccable. It, it's irrefutable. And so as I go through this kind of, this very quick list, and I ask you to measure yourself in light of what scripture asks us to measure ourselves in, in some particular areas, I just want you to be honest, because when Paul writes this series of verses, he's being honest, always being honest. He's an old man. He's in prison. He's appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen, this, this apostle Paul. He's committed his life to service of Christ. He's an older man now. You may be familiar with some of his writings. Philippians, probably best known for that great verse, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And there's some great verses here. 
uh, the one that really resonates where he says, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. It's great. The second chapter, it's a hymn. It's called the Christ hymn. He said, have the same attitude that was evident in Christ Jesus, that although he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself to the point of slave and became obedient to the point of death. The first century church on the Lord's Day, 2,000 years ago, would have sang that hymn, Mark. That's the hymn that they would have sung. It's, just, it's a hymn. It's a spiritual song. But in the third chapter, Paul does something. To live as Christ today is gain. Have this attitude that was evident in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Think on these things, all these wonderful places. And the, the premise for the whole book is in chapter 1, verse 6. He said, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. Wouldn't you like to have that? Wouldn't you like to be able to say, as you are honest with God, talking about the things you valued and why you valued, where the value in them, where you could say, I am confident of this very thing, that God who began a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ. Wouldn't you like to say that? Wouldn't you like to boldly say that? In full confidence, because the trumpet is going to blow, and just as we read in Revelation, he said, listen, I am the first, the last, and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. I get to spend each Wednesday with our youth group, and it's the highlight of my week. It's just the highlight of my week. Middle school, high school kids. And I've said this in this hearing before, that you parents are doing a good job with your kids. You really are. I'm not saying that to make you feel good. I, I, if I didn't believe it, I probably just wouldn't say it. But I hear their responses to questions, and their answers to them are really uh, innocent. We have almost a little bit of Mayberry RFD here. We, re we really do, and that, that's, that's a good thing. I have taught in other circumstances in other youth groups and their carnal knowledge at age 12 is way beyond what it should be. That's not for this morning now, but, but it's a highlight to me. And, and I asked them this week to help me with my sermon. But so in this third chapter of Philippians, um, Paul makes this statement. It's the psychology it's the value system. It's the thing that's impeccable that God desires for you and I. And it's the answer. It's the answer. Go back to the youth group. They're all very young. And if you're over the age of 40 here, and then you're over the age of 50, and then you're over the age of 60, and then you're like Don, you're in your 70s, and almost 80. But... One thing you learn about time is that it's going very rapidly. You don't know it when you're a teenager. You don't. You just don't. You probably don't even know it in your 20s. Maybe you don't know it in your 30s. But I'm going to tell you, by the time you get to your 40s, you will come to the realization, oh, my, I just graduated from high school, and I'm in my 40s. You'll be watching a movie that you think, man, I love that movie. And you'll see that movie was done in 1993. What, huh? 
Silver, they just came out with that movie. No, that was 27 years ago. And the Bible says it's a vapor, and this thing's going to be over really, really quick. And then if you want some finality, just start going to some funerals. And if you die in your infancy or you die at 90 years of age, in the timeline of eternity, that's not even, the, that's not even, a, it's not even a fraction of a second. But we, it seems like it, doesn't it? The older you get, the more you realize this deal's over with quick. Think about that. And now, this is what he says. Finally, verse 1, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Question number one, psychology. What do you find joy in? Really? I can tell what the kids told me. Uh, Haley said her phone. She's not here, so I can pick on her. She was honest. The phone. Uh, I think I left my list back in the pew, so I can't read the whole list to you, so I'll pick on some. But I don't know what you rejoice in. I don't know what you find joy in. What do you rejoice in? Verse 2, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we're the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in, the Christ, in Christ Jesus and, and put no confidence in the flesh. So let me ask you something. Um, what are you wary of? What, 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 are you, what, are you, what are you, man, I, I'm worried about that. I need to beware of that. What are you, what are you, man, what would you tell your children? Beware of that. What do you worship? What do you really adore? I'm going to take the word. Don't be Christian on me right now. Don't be religious. That, don't do that. I ask them not to. What do you adore? I mean adore. Oh, man, I adore that. I like that. I really, hmm, you know. I remember years ago I asked that question to the youth group, and the young lady was very honest. She says, clothes are my life. She said, clothes are my life. And she meant it. She said, clothes are my life, you know. And maybe we adore clothes or big four-wheel drive pickups or, you know, I don't know, the mansion on the hill or our name and lights. I don't know. Uh, uh, some level of intellectual accomplishment. I don't know. But we all adore something. We adore something. And so, and then... So, what are you worried or what would you beware of? What do you worship? Uh, and what do you have confidence in? Because, because again, you all, we all have confidence in something. We all adore something. We all are leery of something. We all find joy in something. And we all worship something. We all, but we also all have confidence in something. Maybe it's your own ability, your own intellect, your sense of trustworthiness. We all do. Psychology. This is just pure psychology. If you weren't in this church setting and you were taking a psychology 101 class at some university, they would tell you and they would talk about the, the things you find joy in, the things that you adore, the things that you, you would be aware of, the things that you uh, would listen to have confidence in. You would. Now, here's this. And Paul's honest enough to give his resume. What would your resume be based upon the things, this gives me joy, I adore this, I have confidence of this, and I would probably be worried or beware of this. What would your resume be? Because you, everybody here has got a resume. Everybody. 
And here's his resume. He says, first of all, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, he's just being honest. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. He's writing to Christians that he had a strong personal relationship with. Part of a missionary trip. Now he's in prison. He's writing, and he's reminding them of that. You want to talk about confidence? Confidence in the flesh? I'll tell you about confidence in the flesh. And he says it. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, the word of God, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were, were gained to me, those things... I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Again, another psychology word. Wrap this up real quick. This is a thundering lesson, lesson here. So what do you do in your life for the sake of? Every parent here would say they do stuff for the sake of their children. Every parent here. I, I'm convinced of that. A husband should be doing things for the sake of his wife. A wife should be doing things for the sake of their husband. We should be. We do things for the sake of our job. Sometimes we give our job more time for the sake of than we do our wife and children and our husband and children, and we, logic, we even justify that. Well, I, somebody's got to make a living. We've got to pay the bills. So for the sake of, you fill in the blank. We all do. Your par parents get older and the cycle changes. You're not the child. Now they're the child. And as a child, as you honor your mother and father, you're doing things for the sake of them. So the next question then, in your list, who are, how would you say in the psychology, your value system, that you say that this is what I, I do this for the sake of this. I do this for the sake of my family. I do this for the sake of my wife. I do this for the sake of my children. I do this for the sake of my husband. Whatever it is, I do this for the sake of myself. What would it be? So now, here's the psychology of the Bible. Here's God's psychology. Here's the, here's the home run. Here's the impeccable lesson about the way God designed you so that you could get all these things right. Because the, if, if I've asked you to be honest in the brief 15 minutes here, that's preacher's time, uh, time 15. So, but if I ask you to be honest, if you're kind of going through this mental process and you're honest, well, I find joy in this and I worship this and adore this and have confidence in this and I'm, I'm, I would beware of this, I'd be wary of this, I'd, you know, um, hmm, I do this for the sake of this, whatever it would be. Let me ask this question. Would you change any of it? In light of being a Christian, would you change any of it? Frank Sinatra sang a song. He said, I did it my way. And in fact, if you break the song, the things that he enjoyed, the, 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 the joy it's in the song, and the things that he adored, what he had confidence in, he said, I did it my way. His dying words was, his dying words, the last words he ever spoke in light of that song, because he wrote the song. He said, I'm losing. I'm losing. 
don't wouldn't judge the man, wouldn't pick on him. It's a very personal illustration. I did it my way. And then his final breath. I'm losing. Do you ever feel like you're losing? Do you ever feel like the joy is temporary? Do you ever feel like the things you adored are vain and meaningless? Why did I spend my time, energy, and effort on that? Did you ever lose your confidence? I, I know one of my biggest strengths and my biggest weakness. And I'm learning to come to terms with it. Um, I had a, a lot of confidence. Too much. And I would tell you some areas of my life that served me well. I'm a half cup, half full kind of guy. Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. I can do that. Yeah. But it's also got me into a lot of trouble. It's got me into a lot of trouble. My greatest strength, like yours, is also your greatest weakness. So confidence. I really, you know. So I've had false confidence. I've found vanity in the things I rejoice in, adore, do for the sake of the confidence that I have. And so, would you change any of that? And then what would you do it on the basis of what? Paul tells you. And if you're lacking in any of those areas, in your marriage, in your health, in your relationships, in your career, in just your life, Paul gives you the fix-it. He gives you the answer because of the psychology and the power to attain things that we're born with, most of it we get wrong. And it takes a lifetime to get it right. And he gives you the answer right now. So teenagers, as boring as any of this may be, I'm, I'm going to give you what Paul's going to give you, what God gave to Paul. It'll save you a lot of trouble. If your marriage is in trouble, this will save you a lot of trouble. If you're struggling in some area, this will save you a lot of trouble. Because we have the psychology and we have all the wants and the needs and the I got and I do and the confidence and the attain and the power and all that. But we have the wrong, uh, we have the wrong equation. We have the wrong sum total. And he has the right sum total. So here it is. Hmm. Verse Seven. But whatever things were gained to me that I could attain on the basis of my power, the confidence in my flesh, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to all things, all things to be in loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. I ask about knowing Christ, the knowledge. What would you do if you could do, if you, if you just could have knowledge about anything? So he says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may attain Christ. Everything that I thought was powerful, everything that I thought would bring me joy, everything that I adored, everything that I had confidence in, everything that I did for the sake of, it's all rubbish because I was trying to gain the wrong thing. I was trying to attain and gain the wrong thing. And so then he says in verse 9, and may be found in him and having a righteousness of my own, not having a righteousness of my own divided from the law, the word of God, but that is which is through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. A lot of theology there, but let's just get it down to the, the final summation. This is the sum total of it all. He said, so, I, listen, everything's lost. I only want one thing. I want to be right before God through faith in Christ. That's really what he says. I just want to be right to God and through God by faith in Christ. And so how does that happen? In church, I wish we could have this so deeply instilled in us that it would be the yield sign in our brain. It would be the stop sign in our vision because it is the cure-all. It's the fix-it-all. And we shouldn't just celebrate it on Easter. Here it is. Verse 10. All this stuff. Oh, I just want to be right before God through faith in Christ. And here's why. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I'm going to ask you. If you knew the moment that you would die, he did. He's the only one that has ever known that. If you knew the moment that you were going to die, the doctor says you're going to die at 10 o'clock on June 3rd, 2021. And you are. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. What would you want more than anything? I, I know what I want. I want to be resurrected in glory. To be like him. To live in eternity. Forgiving. Forgiven in perfect joyful jubilant adoring relationship with my God that that's what I'd want would you want a bigger house would you want another degree would you want a, a great inheritance to leave your children so that they could squander it would you want, I don't know. There's only one thing that you and I should want. And that's the confidence. That when this body dies, the power of his resurrection and to attain, attain the resurrection from the dead. What else? And the final thought is this. It's Easter. Everybody's got their best clothes on. It's nice. Maybe this is part of what you do in your Christian walk. I don't know. But Christianity can be about a lot of things. Mostly it can be about us. But here's what I know. When I'm really wanting to be joyful, something might give me joy, the resurrection will give me joy. When I might falsely worship something that I think is worthy of my praise, energy, and time, and then it just no longer has that, any, 
the resurrection doesn't. And if I want to live my life for the sake of someone or even myself, that will become joyless itself, but the resurrection won't. It changes everything. When church is a drudgery, it's because something's happening that doesn't have anything to do with the resurrection. If you don't come to church because of some reason to worship God, it's not because of the resurrection. It's because of some base selfishness that exists in you and I or just pure de-laziness. But it's not the resurrection. Because if you put it all on the table and you realize you don't know the day that you're going to die, let me tell you something. Woo, you'd be running to church. You'd be coming to church because he don't ask much. He said, I don't ask much from you. Really, all I want you to do, he wants it. Don't say the preacher's saying it. It's right here out of the heart of God and his word. He says, I want you to church with your family. One day a week. And the world in their pursuit of joy and for the sake of and confidence in and worship, they have created every opportunity in the world for you and I to find joy and adoration and for the sake of and confidence of tempora temporary things. Just temporary. And God says, I just want you to go to church. One day, a little bit of time, worship me. I want you to be, in as much as it's up to you, to be at peace with all men. I think you should pray to me. That's about it. But it's not a whole lot. Don't live in your righteousness. Live in your reliance on me. That's it. That's all. And it's the opposite of what the world will tell you. Find joy in your clothes, in your physical looks, in uh, your achievements, or the pleasure that the world offers you, and it's all just going to come tumbling down, and it's all going to rot and burn up, and, and it'll all be at that moment, because I have done over 300 funerals, and unfortunately in those funerals, at least 40, 50, 60 people in the dying days of hospice, and I've heard them, and I've heard their heart, and, and, and you know what? Frank Sinatra wrote it in a song, but I've heard it out of the lips of Christians, oh man, I'm losing, I'm losing. I'm losing, but I'll tell you something, brother and sister, and you better hear this. I have never heard those words or anything that resembled those words out of somebody who wanted to know the power of his resurrection and attain unto that resurrection because of their faith in God through Christ. I have never heard or seen anything that resembles that. I have seen death at the door and the person dying and their faith and their life and their goals and their adorations and their desires resolved around the truth that, oh my lands, the tomb was empty. He died on a Friday. The tomb was open on a Sunday. He walked out, the funeral clothes were folded, and there he is, and even the angels were mesmerized. Huh. That person never fears death. And I've had the great blessing and fortunate blessing to be at a bedside when that kind of Christian's dying. So I leave you with this. You want, you want joy? You want to know the right things to be aware of? You want to worship in spirit? You want to have confidence? Real confidence? You want to live for the sake of something? Oh, brother, sister. It just boils down to this thing. Huh, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death in order, here's the math, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Chew on it.
Think about it. Pray about it. Let God grow that in your heart and your spirit. Thank you for being here this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do pray and long and desire in our heart. We live in such a dark, vain, temporary world that we pursue things, Father, I know that are just, they really are vain in our pursuit of joy and whatever we think gives us confidence. But, but Father, I pray that you fill our hearts with this great desire that we may know him in the power of his resurrection, that we have fellowship with his sufferings being conformed to his death in order, Father, that we may attain, we may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.